The reading this morning is from Colossians 4, beginning at verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who's called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who's one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. Vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Mike. I just want to, before we uh, get into this passage, just do a big up for Nympha, who you heard in that list. She's the only lady in the list, and she had a, a, a church in her house, so she was a church leader. I'm actually not going to talk about her this morning, but I just want to point that out before we get into the list of men. Um, hurrah for Nympha. Uh, so you might want to uh, get your uh, Bibles out or your Bible app open. We're going to look at this last passage together uh, in Paul's letter uh, to the church in Colossae. We've reached the end of this letter. And Paul is uh, signing off and sending his greetings uh, and the greetings of other people uh, to uh, the church. And he hands over this letter to Tychicus, one of the great names that Mike just read so superbly. Tychicus, the one who is to deliver uh, this letter to the church in Colossae. And off we go. And we could so easily just skip over these verses, couldn't we? Seeing them just as a list of pleasantries, uh, a list of names. But I think that actually in these last 11 verses of Colossians, we find something incredibly rich and incredibly relevant to us today, worthy of digging into and spending a bit of time unpacking. As Paul once again highlights, as he's done through the whole of this letter to the church in Colossae, the centrality of relationship to the strength and the power of the kingdom of God. 
If I were to summarize these last few verses in the book of Colossians in one sentence, it would be this. Extraordinary ministry is marked by extraordinary relationships. Extraordinary ministry is marked by extraordinary relationships. Relationships with God and with other people. Simply put, we cannot be church without relationship with each other and with God. And those relationships are redemptive relationships. Tom Wright is an eminent writer and theologian, and in his commentary on this passage, he uses a really helpful illustration to help us to understand what Paul is doing in this part of the the letter. Take a simple cotton thread. Lots of you ever see this. It's red, uh, a red thread. There's a, a thread on the screen as well. And in itself, this thread is really not very strong. I could just give it a good tug and it would break really easily. But once this simple cotton thread is turned into stitches, it will hold together two pieces of cloth. And once there are a few stitches in a line and they're close enough together, they can withstand all sorts of pressure. Individually, The thread, and in fact, one or two stitches, are pretty weak. But together, a row of stitches, that thread made into a row of stitches, becomes really strong. Individually, they're weak. Together, we're strong. And so what Paul is doing in these verses is stitching together, if you like, himself and those who are in prison with him, in Rome, and other Christians, and also the Christians in the church in Colossae. He's stitching them together, and he stitches them as well to the church in Laodicea and in Ephesus as well. He's stitching together the lives and the stories of these people. He's creating unity. He's creating relationship, and by doing that, he's he's making them strong. Why? so that the church will be strengthened and that Jesus will be glorified. So let's have a look at some of the lives, some of the stories of these people that Paul mentions and see how extraordinary ministry is marked by extraordinary people and relationships. So the first person mentioned, as we've already heard, is Tychicus. And his job is to deliver and to read out uh, the letter to the church in Colossae. Incidentally, he was also the one who took the letter from Paul to the church in Ephesus as well. And Paul uses in the Greek uh, this word diakonos. And here in this passage, it's translated as minister to describe Tychicus. He is a dear brother, Paul says, and a faithful minister. And incidentally, this uh, is the same word that Paul uses to describe Phoebe, who takes and reads the letter to the church in Rome. Uh, Basically, it means co-worker, minister. Tychicus and Phoebe are co-workers. 
they get to share in Paul's ministry. They would have been close to Paul. They would, know, they would have known his voice. They would have known the intention behind the words and the phrases that he uses in his writings. And so they would have been hugely trusted. They'd have been in a hugely trusted relationship to be able to take this letter and not just deliver it, but also to read it out in the voice of Paul to these Christians in Colossae or Ephesus or Rome or wherever. In fact, if you look at this passage, we find that Paul describes people all the time as my faithful brother, my fellow uh, servant, my fellow prisoner, co-worker. Paul, as much as he is the big gun in the church at this time, needs people alongside him. He needs people around him to share in ministry because what we see is that extraordinary ministry is shared ministry, shared ministry. Elsewhere, we've heard Paul describe the church as the body of Christ, where each part of it is vital to its functioning. It wasn't because of Paul, just Paul, that the gospel of Jesus spread through the whole known world. But it was because Paul carried the torch and passed it on to Tychicus. And, and at some point, Onesimus carried that torch and passed it on to somebody else. And then Justice, uh, Justice carried the torch and passed it on to somebody else. And uh, Demas carried the torch and Archippus carried the torch and on and on and on. The ministry of the church has been shared and passed on and on and on. And now it's you and it's I who are carrying the torch of Jesus Christ, sharing in the ministry, sharing the gospel into our world. We've just heard from Anne about what that looks like for her to carry the torch, to share in the ministry, and to pass the gospel of Jesus to our neighbor, her neighbors, her friends, the people around us. We're servants. We can be co-workers, ministers of the gospel in this shared ministry. And with Tychicus is a guy called Onesimus. I once knew a, a chap called Onesimus. He was quite a legend. Um, and Onesimus was the slave who had run away from his master Philemon. You might be familiar with the name Philemon. There's a book in the Bible about him. And, and when he'd run away, he encountered Paul, became a Christian, and then is returned to his master uh, uh, Onesimus. Uh, they must have a great relationship. He's probably a free slave now because now he's on on this journey with Tychicus. Both Tychicus and Onesimus are described as faithful and dear brothers. Paul loves, values, and trusts these two quite different people from different backgrounds. One is a redeemed slave. One is obviously an articulate and educated leader. But each have an important part to play in this shared, extraordinary ministry. And then in verses 10 and 11, there are three more people mentioned. Aristarchus, Paul's fellow prisoner, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, and Justus. Paul has faced at this point real persecution uh, from the Jewish community. 
but points out here uh, that these three are fellow Jews who have supported him. That means a huge amount to him and has, in his words, brought him real comfort. These people have been alongside him. They've ministered him uh, to him. They've loved him. Uh, they've given him hope, uh, perhaps in moments of distress. Even the most powerful and the most together leaders need people around them who, can be, who they can be real, who they can be authentic with, who they can share the joys and the challenges of leadership with, who, who just see them as human beings and sometimes bring those words of comfort or encouragement uh, I was watching on something like Graham Norton, I love Graham Norton, um, Barack Obama uh, talking with Bruce Springsteen. Uh, they are really good mates. Who would have known Barack Obama and Bruce Springsteen are really good mates? And they were speaking uh, about their friendship. And, and uh, there was something, not in that interview, but elsewhere, Barack Obama said about friendship as a leader. And he said this, one gift I do seem to have is getting really, really good friends around me who've got my back. And that gives you a, a certain serenity in the midst of lots of foolishness. We all need those people around us who can speak truth to us and can bring comfort in those times of need. Paul knew that. He shared ministry. Heading back to the passage... I find Justice a really fascinating person, partly because this is the only place uh, that he is mentioned in Scripture. Everybody else in this list is mentioned elsewhere. Uh, and there, hap there seems to be nothing particularly extraordinary about Justice, apart from the fact that he is present. He showed up. He was present in the life of Paul. And that to Paul made him worthy of mention. That to Paul brought comfort. The night before uh, my mum's funeral, about 20 months ago now, uh, John and I and the children were staying in a hotel near the cathedral where the funeral was going to be, be happening. And it had been a particularly stressful few days leading up to that day. And then out of the blue, two of my oldest friends, Ollie and Lorraine, just turned up at the hotel we were staying at. And we chatted, and we shared together, and we laughed, and we had a few emotional moments together too. But it was just the fact, for me, that they thought, oh, do you know what, we're just going to pop over to the hotel we know they're staying at and see if Libby's all right They'd thought about it. They'd thought about me. They got in the car. They took the time to be present with me. And that brought real comfort. In difficult times, the most profound comfort often comes, doesn't it, from those that just come alongside and are present with us. The friend that just gets in touch, that picks up the phone. The one who offers to pray with us the one that makes us a cup of tea. Sometimes all that we need to do and be for others is to just show up and be present. And yet often, 
all our time and energy and effort is put into the big gesture, the presents that we're going to buy, the things we can achieve or, or make a visible impact on. Today, maybe the most extraordinary thing you will do is to be present in this building, sat alongside the people that you're sat alongside. What an encouragement it is to have each one of us here being present alongside, worshipping, encouraging, being interested in each other, sharing life, sharing ministry together. Do not underestimate the value of being present with each other. We need each other. One of the most profound stories sewn into this list of names is that of Mark. The story of Paul's relationship uh, with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, as Paul explains, is an extraordinary story of a redemptive relationship. You see, Mark had been in the inner core uh, of the apostles. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, on their first uh, missionary journey, take Mark with them. He's right in the action of everything that happens. But somewhere along that journey, uh, Mark has bailed out. He's gone and he's left uh, Paul and Barnabas. And whatever the reason was for that, Paul is left feeling really cross and really hurt by Mark. And later, that um, hurt and that pain that Paul experienced is seen again, and, and, and it comes head on in Acts chapter 15, verses 36 and following. We find Barnabas and Paul having a serious disagreement about Mark again. Barnabas, you see, wants to take Mark along with him and with Paul are on another one of their missionary journeys. They're going to head back and see all the, the guys they've seen before. But because Mark had really left, let Paul down in the past, he deserted him, Paul is still carrying with him the hurt and the pain of the past. He's holding on to this grudge and so, actually, he disagrees with Barnabas and says, no, you know, he can't come with us. He'll let us down again. I, I, he did it before, he's going to do it again. And actually, what happens in this moment is over Mark, Paul and Barnabas go their separate ways. Mark goes off uh, with um, Barnabas and Paul goes off with Silas. And that's why it's such a surprise that years later, we find Paul mentioning the same Mark in this list of significant people in his life. Mark is highlighted by Paul here as, as one of the ones who've brought him deep comfort. And Paul makes it clear here to the Colossian Christians that if Mark turns up with them, you know, give him a massive welcome. This is our brother, my brother Mark. Paul has done a full 360 on Mark. It reminds me of those moments where uh, you have a disagreement with someone or someone ha upsets you or offends you and you just decide that's it. That's it in this relationship. They are this type of person. You know, I cannot be dealing with them anymore. 
Taken to an extreme, this is what our society calls cancel culture. You'll have heard of it. Someone disagrees with you or you have a fallout, usually on social media or something, to the point where they get ostracized to such an extent, either from a professional or a social circle, circle that it's as though they have been cancelled. That's it. That's the end. No way back. There's no space for redemption. And cancel culture is completely at odds with what life and relationship in the kingdom of God should look like. And that's why I think that as much as Paul was seriously mad uh, with Mark for bailing out of, of the journey with him and Barnabas all those years before, forgiveness must have been given. Redemption has taken place. Relationship between Paul and Mark has been restored. And these style redemptive relationships should be what we as the church practice every day towards each other, towards the people we find really difficult, towards our communities, towards our relationships and people in our workplaces towards the people that we disagree with on Twitter. Because we're a community of second chances, aren't we? How many second chances has the Lord given you and I? Thousands. Over and over. He forgives us, he loves us, he restores us, and he welcomes us back to him. Earlier in uh, this book, this letter, uh, in Colossians 3, Paul reminds us that as God's chosen people, we're made holy, we're dearly loved, and so we should bear with one another and forgive one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these things put on love, which binds us together in perfect unity. So extraordinary ministry is marked by extraordinary redemptive relationship. Along the same lines, did you notice that in this passage, Paul describes everyone in such a positive light? He gives every single person that he mentions value. And yet, did you notice, or have you noticed, how in uh, our culture today, we often uh, describe ourselves to other people not just by the inherent value that we have as human beings, but by our job or our successes or our accomplishments. You know, do you know Peter? You know, he's a great guy, isn't he? You know, he's in financial services, you know? And, you know, he's an amazing runner. He won the Edinburgh Marathon Festival. Uh, and he's got three children. How on earth does he do it? And what about ourselves? You know, we describe ourselves by, hi, nice to meet you. Yeah, no, I'm Rachel. I'm not, I'm Libby, but, you know. Uh, Tell me something about yourself, uh, they say. And you say, oh, well, I'm married uh, to Mark. And I've actually got, uh, uh, I just got my degree the other day and uh, I, I own a shop. You might have heard of it. Where does this need to validate ourselves and others by our accomplishments come from? Maybe we're concerned about how we'll be remembered by people. Maybe we have this deep desire to do something with our lives, 
we feel we need to achieve something. But look at how this passage describes and identifies the named people, not by their accomplishments or their successes. Their value comes from their relationship, their redeemed relationship with God and with other Christians. Epaphras, Paul describes as one of you to the Colossian church. Epaphras belongs to them. He's in relationship with them. And Paul highlights how, you know, Epaphras, he's always wrestling in prayer for you. And then our beloved friend Luke, the value is in his friendship with Paul. Demas, we don't know anything about him apart from he sends greetings, love, relationship. Aristarchus, whose only achievement is, the mo- is at the moment, he is, he's Paul's fellow prisoner in jail. It's our identity as fellow children of God that binds us together in relationship with one, one another. It's the power of Christ Jesus at work in our lives as individuals and sewing us together as a community of believers that makes us strong and effective in living out and speaking out the gospel of Jesus in this sometime hostile world. Just look at the person either side of you for a moment. Smile through your mask at them. You might want to look at them and just go, wow, wow, just wow. Tom Wright says this quote on the screen, Christians belong to one another in a fellowship of mutual love, prayer, instruction, and service. Isn't that amazing? We belong to each other. We get to do this together, this shared ministry. And then right at the end uh, of this letter, uh, Paul's letter to the Colossian church, we get this final greeting. Um, having dictated uh, the letter, because that's what he'd have done. He wouldn't have actually written it in his own hand. He'd have dictated the letter, and some professional scribe would have written it down really, really, really small because papyrus was really, really expensive. Paul now picks up the pen himself, and he writes this in his own hand. I, Paul write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Remember me. Grace be with you. He finishes as he starts this letter with grace. Grace be with you. Grace, the heart of the redemptive relationship. Grace, that incredible truth that at the heart of Christianity, we get what Jesus deserves, not what we deserve. Grace, that thing which makes it possible for us to be in relationship with our loving God and with each other. And so extraordinary ministry is marked by extraordinary and redemptive relationships where we get to share ministry with each other, where we are present with each other, where we practice love and forgiveness in redeemed relationships, where our value comes from our love for Jesus, his love for us, and our love for each other. Should we stand together?
as we stand. Uh, let's just take a moment to be quiet. There's so much in this passage. There's so much in each of those names that I've unpacked with us this morning. There's so much that God might be speaking into our own hearts and lives. So let's just stand and be quiet. And you might want to just say one of two things. Come Holy Spirit. Or God, what do you want to say to me? Come Holy Spirit. God, what are you wanting to say to me, to highlight to me this morning? Father God, we pray for those people that are in our minds. Perhaps for some of us, there's somebody that's come to mind or a relationship that's come to mind that we're really struggling in. Might be even somebody that we've cancelled from our lives for some reason. And we just feel challenged this morning to maybe reach out to show love or forgiveness in some way. God, give us courage to do that. Help us to be people who bear your grace in the way that we live our lives. And so, Father, we pray for healing and restoration, redemption of those relationships that have come to our minds this morning. Thank you for the value that you see in each one of us not because of what we do or don't do, not because of our successes or accomplishments, but simply because of who you, we are as your children, as people who you formed and created, who you know, who you breathe life into. Thank you that our value is found simply as children of God. Help us to appreciate each other, to appreciate the people that you've put us amongst, to give them value on those same lines. And Lord, bind us together in you, in, in our love for you, Help us to be people who share this Christian life, this ministry that you've called us all to. To watch out for each other, to be people who encourage and speak those positive words to, as Paul spoke, those positive words of kindness and love and real depth, uh, deep compassion to, as he spoke about his friends, his fellow Christians. And we pray that as we do and are the, these things, 
that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would empower us to be your people where you have placed us in your world, that we'd be confident in your gospel. to share the the good news that we found in you. And so, Holy Spirit, come and breathe your life, your love, your grace into our hearts and into our minds. In Jesus' name, amen.